This is God's word. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord I called, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. The word of the Lord. Pray with me real fast. God of light and vision, we've read about stories in which you lead the blind to see and the lame to walk. In short, you are a God of healing. We ask you that you begin to heal us, bring us clarity and hope, give us the strength to say help and the courage to become unstuck. Amen. Um, probably the worst feeling in life is being stuck. Stuck in anything. Stuck in the mud, stuck in a ditch, stuck in a rut. Just being stuck. Wherever you are, it is awful. Maybe you were stuck because you had a flat tire because you forgot to buy new tires. And so you're on the side of the road and going, oh man, I am stuck. How am I going to get out of here? Maybe you are perpetually lost because you don't ask for directions. But that doesn't have to, that's not really being stuck. But if you are constantly not asking for directions and constantly being lost, then maybe you're stuck from just not asking questions. Regardless, the worst um, being stuck is awful. It's bad. I think it's a universal truth to say we don't like being stuck. The worst kind of stuck is being stuck in traffic. It is absolutely the worst. I have a new job where I work at a, a school in Woodlands, and if I hit the wrong time, um, it will, my commute will be from a half hour to a, a, the worst was an hour and 15 minutes from Woodland to Sacramento. The absolute worst. For me, but that is not the worst traffic that has ever been recorded. <laughs> there is worse. In August of 2010, a traffic jam um, on the China National Highway 110 slowed down thousands of vehicles for more than 60 miles. And it lasted for 10 days. <laughs> Many drivers were not able to move past 0.6 miles a day. 0.6 miles a day, less than a mile a day, many, um, causing many drivers to be stuck in the traffic for, at most, five days straight. In traffic for five days straight. What are you going to do during that time? Um, probably check your Facebook, I would guess. 
or catch up on your news or figure out why this traffic is taking so long. This traffic jam was so bad, it was so awful that it created its own little micro-economy. Locals near the highway sold water, instant noodles, and cigarettes at inflated prices. A bottle of water in that area would have cost one yuan, but during this traffic jam, it cost ten. Ten wands. And reporters and drivers reported that the price of instant noodles tripled. Being stuck is awful. No one likes being stuck. No one likes being in traffic. And I think there's a reason for that. And that's because some, for some reason, there's something inside of us that wants resolution. We want things to be resolved. We're in traffic. We want to go home. We want to go wherever we are going. We want things to be resolved. And when they're not resolved, we know it and we complain about it. That's why the internet was created, to complain about things not being resolved. We want things to be clean and tidy, to be packaged, to be finished. If you don't believe me, I will give you one word and you will believe me. One word. This is the one word. Lost. Lost. You want that TV show, Lost, to be resolved. Many people don't like that show, don't like the ending because it's not resolved. And if, you don't, if you're not there with me, if you don't know that show, I'm so sorry, I just lost you. But for, go back to the traffic analogy and think, oh, I hate traffic, I hate it so much. Um, but that one thing, lost. We want things to be resolved. We want things to, um, to, to work out, to be finished in the end. We yearn for resolution. This passage is about being stuck. It is about being in the process of, of coming out of, of being stuck, of coming out of that traffic. There are things that might keep you, that might catch you, that might contain you, that hold on to you and won't let you go. Oftentimes, we rise and we fall without resolution. We, we aren't able to come out of those things. We aren't able to finally make it home. Or if we make it home, it takes so long to get there. We're stuck without hope. And we just find an empty present and a foggy future. Perhaps you're stuck right now. You don't have direction. You are un- unclear about where you're going or what you want to do. You're, you're going towards a dead end or you're in traffic or maybe you're going nowhere at all and you can feel it. Maybe you, you're thinking about that thing right now, the thing that is keeping you stuck. There's three stories woven within this psalm that lead towards this resolution, towards coming out of this traffic. Three stories. Um, And those three stories are, there's God's story, there's our story, sorry, there's David's story, there's our story, and there's God's story. So let's start with the first one, David's story. Um, Part of this psalm is individualized specifically for David. David wrote this psalm in order for a specific purpose. It is his story. His story is described through a constant cycle, through going, um, doing something great and then doing something awful. The Bible describes David as a king. He is a man after God's own heart. He is someone filled with immense potential. He is the person that God singled out, brought out of his family and said, you are going to lead my people into doing great things. You have potential. But that's not David's story. David's story isn't going straight into that potential. David's story goes through the cycle of being stuck. He goes through the motions. He has successes and failures. He has highs and lows. He has ups 
and downs. And even the majority of the language within this psalm are those things of moving through the ups and the downs. He goes from the realm of the dead to mountains, from pits to dancing, from weeping to joy, from wailing to praise, from sackcloth to light and gladness. David's story is filled with these ups and these downs. And he is stuck in these ups and these downs. Knowing that David is supposed to be this person with potential, this person that is supposed to do the right thing, this person that is supposed to embody the very people um, that God wants his people to be, he's stuck. And that is so frustrating. It is so frustrating to see someone that has potential fail. Maybe you have felt that, where you've had that potential. You've had all the things given to you, and you say, I can just go into the world, but I can't. I don't live up to that potential. David is someone that doesn't live up to that potential. And it's frustrating, because we don't want a king to not live up to his potential. We don't want a king to be trapped in this cycle. That's not becoming of him. That's not what this royalty is supposed to do. We want this last psalm, this last um, thing that he gives up, that he gives to the world to be filled with victories and land conquered, stories about courage and death. We don't want a confession about all the crap that he's done. We just want the good stuff. Give us the cliff notes. Instead, he tells us about his joke, about his, about his, his junk, about the things um, the times that he cries out for God. Eugene Peterson in the message has, um, he describes this psalm in an, a beautiful way. And in verse 2 and 3, he says, um, David is crying out to God and says, God, my God, I yelled for help and you put me together. God, you pulled me out of the grave and gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. David's story within this psalm is that he goes through this cycle, these, these uppers and downers, these highs and, he low, and lows. And he is, he is trapped within that process, not going anywhere. He's just in a circle. It's comforting because God does save him, but it's frustrating because he goes back and does the thing that he didn't want to do before. Or he goes back and does the thing that um, we don't want him to do. Like um, he steals another man's wife. We don't want that to be our king. We don't want that to be the person that we look up to. He's in his highs and his lows. He's not living up to his potential. And that leads us to the second point, our story. Um, we, I think we identify with David's story because that's us. We don't live up to our potential. We have things that we want to do, dreams that we want to pursue, things that say, this is mine, I will get it, and I don't care who's in my way but we fail. Life is filled with failure of not living up to potential. Whether it's potential someone thrusts upon you, or whether it's potential that is deep inside your soul, the things that make you you don't live up to that potential. And when things are great, they go great. And you know they go great. And they feel great. And they see great. And they sound great. And they smell great. And they taste great. When you do live up to your potential, it is amazing. It is awesome. It feels right. But then when you don't, well, it feels, it feels bad. 
and you know it feels bad. Um, and you, when life stands still, and you sit in a rut, and you're stuck in traffic, and all of the, the things that you're yearning for cost tenfold. Water is worth ten yang, and instant noodles is three times the price it should be. So when you're low, you're low, but when you're high, you're high. I think this is, this is difficult um, because this is my story of not f- living up to potential, of not wanting to, of doing the things that I don't want to do. This is my story, this is me, of having the potential to do these things and always falling into the cycle and going through the motions and just living in this circle. And when things are great, they're really great. And when they're low, they're really low. When they're great, they're really great. And when they're low, they're really low. And we're just trapped going in this motion, not going ever. And Robert Frost says, there's two roads, and I chose the one less traveled. But we're still stuck on the road. And I say to myself, Daniel, you stupid, immature Christian. Why are things great, and you ignore God, and things are bad, and you ask for help. Or perhaps, like me, you've gone through that process so much that you've given up shaking your fist at God and saying, why me? And you just say, is it really going to help if I do that one more time? Is it really going to work out for me? Perhaps um, you're like me and you are your worst inner critic. You are the person that brings you down. You are the person that doesn't allow grace to enter yourself. You are the person that holds you back. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in in traffic, unable to make any progress, and everything that you're doing um, doesn't seem to work. I think this is a common story that we have within our human history. This is something that everyone can attach to. Um, Sisyphus pushed up the rolling, the, the rock on the hill, and then it rolled back down, and he was stuck in this personal hell of rolling this rock up a mountain, only to have it roll back, and him to do it again. Um, in The Great Divorce, Lewis, C.S. Lewis talks about Napoleon in his living room, muttering to himself about battle plans for a battle that he will never fight. We live in this process, in this cycle of doing these things over and over and over again, and we're trapped in the circle without direction. We are in, in traffic. Or perhaps this. Every year, there's a new iPhone, and that iPhone comes out just at the right time when we finally figured out the last one, and we feel we have to get this new one. And when we get that one, we learn it, and then next year, the new one comes out. Sisyphus rolling the iPhone up the, up the mountain. But there's an image within this psalm that I think takes that frustration, that anxiety, those deep feelings of not living up to the potential, and it turns it on its head. And it's in the middle of, of, the, of the chapter in verse 5, and it says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes for the morning. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Eugene Peterson says it like this, the nights of crying your eyes out give way to days of laughter. 
You don't have to be trapped. You don't have to be in that circle. You don't have to be in that traffic. This image sums up the psalm for me in a way that that joy can only repel that weeping and that sadness. So that brings us to the third point, God's story. So the first one was David's story. Someone that doesn't live up to the potential, that has so much um, that can offer the world and just doesn't do it. Our story, we feel like we have potential or we've been told that we have potential. And for some reason, we cut ourselves down and we don't live up to it. And then the third point, God's story. What I love about this psalm is that it's, all, it's a celebration. It's a, thing, it's a thanksgiving. You can't remove this psalm or it's dangerous to remove the psalm from its context. This is a psalm about thanksgiving. It's a psalm about the dedication of the temple. Something happens um, if you cross over to uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles 29, you'll find this, this narrative where this psalm is placed, where the Israelites are gathered together dedicating God's temple. And I can imagine that David is leading everyone, the entire nation, in this song. And they're singing together things like, um, I called out to you, God. I laid my case before you. Can you sell me for a profit when I am dead? Or, listen and be kind, help me out of this. That's not much of a celebratory song. It's actually a pretty awful celebratory song. It's actually probably the worst celebratory song of saying, here we are, we're doing awful things, come and save us. But as this is David's story, this is also Israel's story, that God will continue to save them. So David asked this question um, towards the middle of, of, of 1 Chronicles 29, and he says, who am I and what is my people? What should we be able to thus offer willingly? They're dedicating um, this new temple where God is going to be with his people. But in the midst of that, they live within this cycle. David's story appears to be stuck. He goes through the motions, the cycle, the highs and the lows, but his focus is all wrong. And our approach to this psalm is all wrong because we just approach on David crying for help. Because the point of this, of this psalm is not that David cries for help, but it's that God helps. The psalm is not defined by how much we cry for help, by, not, by how much David cries for help, but by the lengths in which God sets out to save David. And, he, and it is defined by the lengths in which God sets out to save you, to give you direction, to give you purpose, to pull you out of your ruts, to get you out of traffic, where the things you're yearning for aren't, don't cost ten times as much as they should, but they are free and abundant and life-giving. The psalm changes the focus of David's story and our story to God's story, to where we no longer exist within the cycle of the ups and and the downs, but instead our story is hitched to God's story. And so we still have our, our cycles of ups and downs, but instead we have direction and we're going somewhere and we're moving somewhere. And our, as our story is hitched to God, we see that all the times that we ask God for help reveals all the times that he helps us, that he helps our friends, that he helps those we don't like, that he helps 
everyone. The point of this story, or the point of this psalm, is that God is the lengths in which God is willing to pull you out of your ruts, to pull you out of your directionless motion. And at the end, we have movement and purpose. We are going somewhere. We're traveling somewhere. We're cyclical, but we have direction. And that's why we're able to... um, It's it's almost as if this movement and and direction are the feelings when a sonnet ends in in a nice, heroic couplet with good, solid rhymes. Or... When, summer, when it's summer break at the end of a long term cycle, or when kids go back to school at the end of a long summer, that this feeling is resolution, that we don't have to be stuck, that our, our, our direction, our purpose, our movement is going somewhere. We hitch ourselves to God's story, and we find resolution, because who is God in this psalm? God is the person that saves you. God is the person that pulls you out of the pit, that gives you life. He is the God that replaces crying with laughter. He is the God that replaces weeping with joy. The importance of this change is not that we will one day be perfect. That's not the point of the psalm. The point of the psalm is that God saves, that there are going to be traffic jams. There are going to be summers filled with kids. There are going to be new iPhones every single year. But you don't have to be stuck. You don't have to live in your circle. You can have motion. You can have direction. You were once in a circle, and now you're just in a loop-de-loop. And that's so much more fun than being <laughs> in a circle, a loop-de-loop. Um, Eugene Peterson ends his, his version, his um, idea of this, of this psalm with this. This is absolutely brilliant and it's absolutely beautiful. I'm going to burst with song. I can't keep quiet about you. God, my God, I can't thank you enough. Where is your story going? Are you stuck? If you're stuck, I encourage you to embrace the gospel because that will push you in a new direction and get you unstuck. It'll clear all the traffic jams. Life will be hard. There will still be traffic jams, but at least you'll have a direction in where you're going. Pray with me. God, thank you um, for this moment in which we can find direction. You give direction to the directionless. You give hope to the hopeless. Um, I pray that we, we bend our ears and posture ourselves to follow you. Thank you for this hope and this grace and your gospel in your name. Amen.